0: You know, somebody says a word and you have to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Well, I'm going to do a little word association, but you don't have to say anything. Uh, maybe just think something in your, in your mind. So I'm going to say a word, and what you can kind of think what comes to your mind uh, first. The word is friends. Now Maybe some of you are thinking that TV program a few years ago, it was very, very popular, and I think it created a lot of big-name stars from that uh, TV program. Or maybe, if you're a little more uh, up-to-date, you're thinking Facebook. People are friends on Facebook. I'm friends with some of you on uh, Facebook. Or maybe, if uh, I think it was in the bulletin, I wasn't here this morning, Uh, I think it was in the bulletin, my sermon title for this evening, and maybe you're thinking, well, David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan were best friends. They were perhaps one of the greatest uh, friendships In the Bible, and we're going to look at uh, David and Jonathan and their friendship this evening. I want to contend that friendship is a basic human need, and that's why loneliness is such a great problem. According to a Gallup poll, four out of ten Americans admit to frequent feelings of intense loneliness. And a recent uh, census said that there are more and more people who are living alone. You know, I might just mention that I think the reason why seniors like to go on our senior outings is because they don't like to go to places alone. They like to go to places with their friends. And so uh, this coming Saturday, we're going to go uh, to Master Arts Theater. We're going to see Bernice Norman in uh, Things We Could Not Say. And we do it, you know, together. We do it as, as friends. Well, there are more and more people living alone. I'm I'm sure the census is right, but that can be a bit misleading because sometimes people can be uh, all alone and yet not feel lonely. And there are other times when people can be surrounded by a crowd of people and they can feel very lonely. And So I think there's a difference between solitude and loneliness. Loneliness is unwanted isolation. Loneliness is sensing that there is a basic human need. That is not being met. Now, some of you are, who are as old as I am might remember Barbara Streisand made famous that song, you know, decades and decades ago people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. So, why am I contending that friendship is such a great need, a basic human need? I think it goes back to the very beginning at the time of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image. There was a friendship within the Godhead. There was a community within the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He made us in His image. And so God created us for friendship. God created us for community. And after He made the creation... He said that everything was good except for one thing. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so we are created for this this need for friendship and for community. And uh, as a consequence of sin, we have turned away from God. We have also uh, turned away from each other. Well... Uh, Friendships are not all the same and at the risk of oversimplification, I'd like to suggest that there may be different levels or categories of friendship and we all instinctively know this. The first level might be that of uh, acquaintances, people that we know but it's it's a very superficial friendship. Maybe we know their name, maybe we say hi uh, when we pass by but it's not beyond that. There's nothing uh, deep about that uh, friendship. That's about it. Just very superficial. The second level would be casual friends. They might be people that we work with or maybe that we live uh, nearby and maybe we talk with them about fairly significant things like the Tigers or the Lions or some sports team or maybe about politics. You know, we talk about uh, things like that. Um, you know, we, we discuss things with them. We know them Maybe they're, you know, our neighbors across the street or next door. The third level would be close friends. And these are people that we talk about personal things with and meaningful matters, not just sports and politics, but things concerning our life. And then the, the deepest level would be intimate uh, friendships where we love somebody a lot and we have a deep commitment to them and we share with them some of our uh, deepest and most uh, deepest thoughts and most innermost desires, and we allow them to criticize us, and and we seek out their opinions, and these are really really intimate friends. And I suspect that the further we go in that sequence, probably the fewer and fewer there are, but the greater the honesty and the great, the greater the depth of friendship. We're going to look at David and Jonathan this evening, and I want to. I believe they were at that deepest level. They were soulmates. And we're going to look a little bit at their friendship. And so I'd like to ask you to turn with me in to 1 Samuel. We're going to do a little bit of skipping around because the story of David and Jonathan is so long, I couldn't begin to read the whole thing. But let's start out with 1 Samuel 18. And we'll look at the first four verses. And I sometimes have a hard time finding some of these Old Testament books. 1 Samuel follows Judges. And it's before Kings. goes Samuel, Kings, and then Chronicles. So we're looking at 1 Samuel, chapter 18. And we're going to do a little, like I say, skipping ahead, uh, skipping around. <clears throat> first four verses. After David had finished talking with Saul, Saul was, of course, the first king of Israel, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword. Remember those words. We'll come back to it. Even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And then let's flip ahead to chapter 20. And I'm going to read, start reading at verse eighteen, read eighteen through twenty-three. Chapter twenty, verse eighteen. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon festival. You will be missed, because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began, and wait for the stone wait by the stone Azel or Azel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Bring them here. Then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe and there is no no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you. Then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. And about that matter, about the matter You and I discussed, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. Now, in the the few verses that follows, uh, David is missed at the King King Saul's table, and Jonathan says uh, David had to go back to Bethlehem uh, for a family matter, and he has to be excused. And we're going to begin now at verse uh, 30. And Saul becomes furious with Jonathan. And we'll read how Jonathan... Protects his good friend David. Study of verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, David, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him. And he said to the boy, Run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, Isn't the arrow beyond you? (coughs) Then he shouted, Hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have a sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. Let me say that again. We have a sworn friendship. Friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. And then let's turn one more time to chapter 23, verses 15 through 18. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish, and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Let me read that again. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. Well, after David won his great victory over Goliath and and slew uh, Goliath, he entered upon a very difficult period of his life. He was fleeing for his life from King Saul, who wanted to kill him. And God provided David with a a close, intimate friend in the person of Saul's son, Jonathan. And uh, Jonathan and David may have had one of the closest uh, friendships, greatest friendships Uh, in the Bible, and uh, let's look at what made that friendship of David and Jonathan so great, and maybe we can learn something about how to establish really close and great friendships uh, in our lives as well. The first thing that David and Jonathan uh, had was they had a common faith in God, and so in 1 Samuel 18 verse 1, which I just read a little bit ago, it says they were one in spirit. And then in verse 3, it adds, And Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as himself. And then I tried to emphasize how in chapter uh, 20, verse uh, 22, it said, Go in peace, we have a sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. They had a common faith in God. And so you see that faith in God on the part of uh, Jonathan when Uh, He went up against the Philistines along with his armor bearer and uh, they were greatly outnumbered and uh, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. And so even though they were tremendously outnumbered, uh, because Jonathan put his faith and trust in God, God gave him the victory over the Philistines. Well, doesn't that sound just like David? David? David had that kind of faith in God when he went up against Goliath. He put his faith and trust in God, and God gave him the victory over uh, the giant Goliath. I believe it's impossible to exaggerate the importance of a common faith in the establishment of a close friendship. And so Amos 3 verse 3 says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? I um, was reading an article in the latest issue of the banner, which I think came in our mail yesterday. It was uh, written, it's a cover article, it's called Unequally Yoked," and it's written by my cl- seminary classmate, Henry Newman. Uh, it's a really nice article, I'd like, you to encur- I'd like to encourage you to read it. But he talks about how difficult it is sometimes when pastors are asked to do weddings and they feel that it's not, it, there's not that common uh, bond of faith, that common commitment of faith. And it, it's just a really good article. And it talks about what he would do in different situations and the like. But it does emphasize the importance of having that common commitment uh, to Jesus Christ as a basis for friendship. And you, you do wonder, how can somebody be an intimate friend with someone if they're not in agreement with the most fundamental uh, issue of faith? You know, no matter where you go, when you travel, no matter where you go, if, if you meet somebody who's a Christian or if you visit a Christian church, it doesn't even have to be Christian Reform. You go to a church, and right away you have a basis on which to build a friendship because you've got that foundation. You've got that common commitment of faith. And that's what Jonathan David had. They had a common faith in God. Well, I know that there are a number of lonely, a lot of lonely people in the church because the church is um, is full of sinful people, and the church is not perfect, and the church really is a work in progress. But on the other hand, there are a lot of great friendships within the church, very strong friendships. Probably most of your friends are in the church today. Is Pentecost, and uh, Pentecost. The first Pentecost was the birthday of the, Christian, of the New Testament church. And uh, the, the Holy Spirit is building this new community of believers. He, he is building this community in which there are so many strong friendships that are based upon a common uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the second thing to uh, notice about David and Jonathan is that they both had... Great humility. Let's take Jonathan first. Jonathan was in line to become the next king. He was the heir to the throne. He was the prince of Israel. And yet, like his father, uh, he knew that David was going to become the next king. And so we read in second, uh, 1 Samuel 23, verse 17, where Jonathan said to David, You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. You know, isn't that an amazing thing? This this was the prince of Israel. This was the heir to the throne. And he says to David, you'll be the next king, and I will be second to you. <clears throat> there was no jealousy on the part of Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan was encouraging David when David was in a difficult time of his life, and he desperately needed that kind of encouragement. He was fleeing from the... Uh, malicious uh, pursuit of uh, King Saul. That's what great friends do. Great friends uh, help each other. Great friends encourage each other. Great friends uh, want the success of others. They work for the success of one another. They're not jealous or envious. Uh, rather, they uh, they're they're grateful when they can help each other become the best that they can possibly be, and. Jonathan certainly demonstrated that with David. Uh, he said, "You will be the next king, and I will be second to you." Well, David was humble too, because uh, David was just—he uh, was just a shepherd boy from the little town of Bethlehem. Old oh, little town of Bethlehem, we sing at uh, Christmas time. So uh, he was—he was a humble uh, shepherd boy, <clears throat> and the the reward for killing Goliath is that he would be given the daughter of King Saul in marriage. Well, uh, David uh, wondered how he could, this little shepherd boy, a humble shepherd boy, uh, could become the, uh, the son-in-law of the king and marry the king's daughter. And he said in uh, chapter 18, verse 18, uh, David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law. So when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel of Mahola. Now Saul had another daughter. His name was Michael. Saul's daughter Michael was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him. It's kind of funny, but uh, you see the humility of David? David didn't think he was worthy of being the husband of the king's daughter and the son-in-law of the king. And so uh, King Saul gets this bright idea that he's going to require David to kill a hundred Philistines in order to marry Michael, thinking that surely David will be killed by the Philistines. But David went out and killed 200 uh, and was married to Michael. Well, proud people probably don't have many friends. They tend not to have many friends, and there's a good biblical reason for that. Proverbs 13, verse 10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. We probably all know some proud people who don't take advice, and we probably all know some proud people who are only out for themselves. They're they're not too eager to make personal sacrifices for the benefit of... Of others. But David and Jonathan were willing to make sacrifices for the sake of each other. Well, let's come back to Jonathan a minute. Uh, Jonathan showed humility in so many ways. In uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse 4, we read that he took off his robe and gave it to David and even his sword, it said. So Jonathan took off his royal robe and gave it to David, because he recognized that David was going to be the next king. He realized that David was the Lord's anointed, and he was willing to serve him. But what about that sword? Well, some have uh, suggested that because the Philistines were the iron makers, and they had the swords, that there may have only been two swords in all of Israel. Saul had one, and Jonathan had the other. Well, if that's the case, then the fact that Jonathan gave David even his sword, becomes very, very uh, significant. So what would you do to help and benefit a friend? What would you do to see that they get success and promotion? You know, we live in a world of cutthroat competitiveness. But uh, the mark of great friendship is uh, when you can humbly give credit and honor and rejoice in the success of a friend rather than your own. Well, the third thing is that both Jonathan and David had great loyalty. Not only were they loyal to God, they had common faith in God. They were loyal to the king, and they were loyal to each other. And so David was loyal to King Saul, even though King Saul was trying to kill him. There were several occasions where David could have killed Saul. He could have taken the life of Saul. But he refused to lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed. And Jonathan was loyal to his father Saul too. There was a time when Jonathan had to choose whether he would remain with his father or go with David. He chose to remain with his father uh, Saul because he felt Saul needed him. And David understood that. David and Jonathan were also loyal to each other. When Saul admitted that uh, his desire to kill uh, David, Jonathan defended him. Let me read chapter 19, verses four and five. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father, and said to him, "Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what has he done, and what he has done has benefited you greatly." He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. That would Be Goliath. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? And, of course, I read that story of where uh, David didn't go to the king's uh, table, and the king wondered where he was, and Jonathan spoke up for David and said that, that he had gone back to Bethlehem, which was not really true. And then he went out to warn David. That uh, Saul was trying to kill him and uh, told him that he should uh, flee, that that he should uh, leave. And so in chapter 20, verse um, 41, which we read earlier, it said uh, that David came out of hiding. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. They had great friendship. And... uh, Friends are not two-faced. Friends are loyal to each other. And friends defend each other and protect each other. And that's what David and Jonathan uh, did. Out of loyalty to David, he warned him and uh, sent him away to escape uh, his father, King Saul's uh, anger. They loved each other. But it wasn't love based on emotion. It was love like a verb. And it was love uh, based on a deep sense of commitment to each other. Earlier I mentioned my uh, seminary classmate Henry Newman's article in the latest issue of the banner that just came. It's about marriages. And I thought about, you know, sometimes in marriage uh, we say our spouse is our best friend. And marriages are like that, you know. They're based on common faith, uh, loyalty to each other, humility, and a binding commitment to each other. Well, this is Memorial Day weekend. And on Veterans Day, we remember everybody who served in the military. But on Memorial Day, we remember those who have died in our uh, nation's uh, wars. And this happens to be, this year, 2015, just happens to be the 70th anniversary of the end of World War II. And so uh, Germany... uh, uh, Gave up, uh, Germany surrendered this month, 70 years ago, May of 1945. And then Japan followed in September of 1945. So, this is the 70th anniversary of the ending of World War II. And there's probably not a lot of World War II veterans left. I mean, uh, the youngest would probably be approaching uh, 90 years old. And so, there were 405,000 American casualties in World War II. Well, interestingly, I discovered that one of the uh, military leaders on both sides of World War II had no friends. And on our side, the American uh, general who had no friends was George Patton. George Patton's biographer wrote about him. So he gained the generalship, the medals and the glory, but he was never to make any friends. On the other side, Hitler had no friends either. Albert Speer was one of Hitler's closest associates, and he wrote about Hitler. I suppose if Adolf Hitler ever had a friend, I would have been that friend. Hitler could fascinate. He wowed in his own charisma, but he could not respond to friendship. Instinctively, he repelled it at the core of the place where his heart should be. Hitler was a hollow man. He was empty. We who were close to him or thought we were all came to sense this, however slowly. You couldn't even enjoy eating cherries with him. We were all simply projections of a gigantic ego. You, you do wonder, what would history have been if Hitler had been able to have close friendships. But he couldn't, and he didn't. Well, neither uh, Patton uh, nor uh, Hitler, by the way, both of whom were racist, uh, neither Patton nor Hitler were able to establish friendships. And they were not able uh, to heed the counsel of the drill sergeant who addressed his troops as they were preparing for training. And this is what he said to them. Never go into battle alone. Step one is find a buddy. You will stick together. You will never leave each other. Difficult assignments require a friend. Together is better. You need someone to help you accomplish the tough course ahead of you. Well, David and Johnson, <laughs> David and uh, Jonathan were best friends. They were soulmates. They, they were committed to each other. Uh, David, of course, went on to become the greatest king of Israel. And he was able to establish friendships. At least he had one great friendship with Jonathan. And Jonathan was actually a type of Christ. Because Jonathan was the prince of Israel. But he humbled himself, gave his royal robe and his sword uh, to David, and loved this uh, shepherd boy. and and gave him his robe. Jesus was the prince too. He was the son of God. He was the the prince of heaven. He was the, the prince of peace. He was the prince of God. And he humbled himself and left behind all the glories of heaven and took on human flesh and gave his life on Calvary's cross and suffered and died so that all those who put their faith and trust in him through the operation of the Holy Spirit, this is Pentecost, that all those who put their faith and trust in him might receive the robe of righteousness. Well, here on earth in this life, there are many, many strong friendships, but there are also many lonely people. But when Jesus comes and ushers in that glorious, victorious church, there will be no lonely people, only friends. Let's call on his name in prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that we can worship together on this Pentecost Sunday evening. Through the work of the Spirit, we are a community of believers within which there are many strong friendships. Within the body of Christ, people make sacrifices for each other. They visit and encourage each other. They share their time and their resources with each other. They help each other. They use their spiritual gifts to work together and serve together in your church. And they don't do it for personal recognition, but they do it all for the glory of God. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be a friend to those in need. Lord, we pray that Pastor Tony will continue to heal and recover from his surgery. We pray that his pain will grow less every day and that his strength Will grow more. Lord, Pentecost is the beginning of worldwide missions, and we pray that the church will grow throughout the world among people of every race and tongue. This is Memorial Day weekend, and we remember those who have died to defend our country and preserve our freedom in our nation's wars. We give thanks for their sacrifice, and in a world where there is so much conflict, we pray for peace. We pray for the conversion even of Muslims. We pray that the powerful Holy Spirit will change the heart of people in ISIS so that they will repent and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord as well. Lord, bless us as we uh, bring all these things before you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.